the Suvik was quite a large ship and it was on its way back from Australia. It did the Australia to um, Britain run and uh, it ran aground off Lizard Point uh, in 1907 and the RNLI rescued 456 people off the Suvik and that is the largest number of people that have ever been rescued in a single operation by the RNLI which is extraordinary. I'm Galen Bartholomew. I'm retired now. I, I suppose thinking back, you know, the RNLI, even when I was at school, it was always one of the charities which we were encouraged to support. But more recently, it's been uh, the personal involvement because of my family involvement with this rescue. The fact that members of my family had been involved in this incident had really been lost. And I think that that is probably because it was so deeply traumatic for the people who were involved that it just wasn't talked about in the family. And over the 116 years, it just really got forgotten. And I was aware from one great uncle that there was said to have been the involvement of my great grandmother and great aunt in a wrecking. And uh, I then found out subsequently that they had been out to South Africa on the occasion of my great uncle's marriage. And that then gave me a date, of course. Uh, and I knew that they, if they, it was probably the only time that they'd been uh, on a long voyage. And therefore I knew that they must be, uh, they must have been coming back uh, in early 1907. So I started uh, investigating wrecks and came across two and fairly quickly established that, it, first of all, that it was the Suvik and that they were on this um, ship. Once I knew that they'd been involved in this wrecking, obviously I wanted to find out more about it and what they'd been through. And that was how this extraordinary story um, sort of captured me and I started researching and I've been doing it really for a couple of years now. And uh, I, I'm still finding out fascinating things about it. Well, the disaster unfolded um, because the weather was very bad and as a result of that um, they had problems uh, establishing their location and I think because there was a storm it, um, the ship was actually about 16 miles uh, closer to Plymouth than they realised and that meant that it was also closer to the Lizard Point uh, and because it was very foggy they could see the um, Lizard light, Lighthouse light, but it looked as if it was a long way away. Uh, and in actual fact, um, that was the background really. Uh, the ship was travelling at full speed, which was about 14 and a half knots, and it ran into the uh, Minehear Rock uh, just off the Lizard Peninsula. When you investigate these things, you know there are all sorts of issues that are not entirely clear. Did they hear the foghorn or not was one question. Also, there is uh, another question is whether the distress flares were actually seen. One report says that they were just heard because it was so foggy. Of course, in those days, the RNLI were just operating in rowing boats. So there were four boats involved uh, and the first two from Cadgeworth and Pulpia Cove, the lizard one, uh, got there after six hours. So, of course, that's a very long time for people on board 
uh, feeling very anxious indeed. Uh, in a way, even more extraordinary was that the other two lifeboats involved were from Kovarak and Porthleven. Now, Kovarak is eight miles from Lizard Point and Porthleven is ten miles. So you think of these brave people uh, rowing all that distance to get to the wreck. And then uh, once the rescue was underway, obviously these people were rowing between uh, the ship and the shore repeatedly uh, in appalling conditions. Before the RNLI arrived, two of the Suvix lifeboats had been um, launched full of people and fortunately they stayed by the side of the Suvik until the RNLI arrived uh, because if they tried to get from the ship to the shore they'd have had to get through the reef and uh, without the knowledge of exactly where the channels between the reef were they would have been in the most extreme danger. Uh, but once the RNLI arrived then the rest of the people, virtually all the people, were taken off and they had to climb down the side of the Suvik on rope ladders. Uh, and in actual fact, there is a quotation which alludes to the fact that six silver medals were awarded to people and two of the six were uh, Suvik crew members and they were awarded their medals because they'd been carrying the children down the rope ladders. And the official history states, they carried the children down the rope ladders and when the lifeboats, which were surging up and down, rose on the waves, dropped them into the arms of the lifeboatmen, who tended them until the mothers were lowered over the side and, steadied by the men, were also skilfully dropped into the boats. So I find, I, I find that a fascinating quote and, you know, obviously I think of my two family members and I also think of them as women at that time, no doubt wearing um, waist to ankle skirts. Uh, and uh, it just must have been a, a, a very, very difficult experience for everyone involved. Very frightening. It was actually widely reported, um, both nationally and to a certain extent internationally. But um, the most information that I managed to obtain was from a local newspaper called The West Britain. And um, there were various things that came up in this uh, newspaper. And for example, one of them uh, in relation to the award of silver medals was that uh, a journalist was subsequently to ask what one had to do to win a gold medal. But in, in relation, the, the other thing that I found very interesting was the involvement of the Cornish folk, quite apart from the people in the lifeboats. Uh, we also should pay tribute to the uh, Cornish folk, mainly women, who gave a warm welcome to those arriving on the beach following rescue. And they had actually lit a fire on Cadgeworth Beach to guide the lifeboats, but also to provide light and heat. And the West Britain uh, wrote, The bravery and self-sacrifice of the women of Cadgeworth came in for much commendation. They worked like slaves in turning the winch which drew the lifeboats ashore, and one woman was most heroic, rushing into the sea to, to her waist and carrying the children ashore. The pluck displayed by the women was simply grand.
Sometimes I wonder if I bore my family with my family history research, but actually they do genuinely seem to be interested, and a lot of them have been fascinated by this story. And of course we know uh, quite a lot about my great-grandmother and my great-aunt. My great-aunt uh, died in uh, 1973, and my great-grandmother lived well into her 90s and didn't die until 1949. Uh, so it's only this year, actually, that the last person who remembered my um, great-grandmother has died himself. Uh, and, and incidentally, at his funeral, the collection was for the RNLI, which shows you how keen the family is to support uh, this great cause. But yes, they've, they've been absolutely fascinated. And I think it just adds another facet um, to the people we knew, and particularly my um, great-grandmother who had an interesting life and was a very caring lady who had not had an easy life uh, early on and um, it seems that she was a wonderful mother and grandmother. Uh, she was also a very good pianist so uh, when I saw that on one of the sister ships of the Suvik there was an internal photograph of a piano I thought well I wonder if my great-grandmother was entertaining the passengers uh, on the Suvik playing the piano my overriding feeling is one of admiration for the lifeboat men of the RNLI who saved uh, all these people, 456 people. And um, I mean, the extraordinary statistic is that since its inception 200 years ago, the RNLI have saved over 142,700 lives. But set against that, we also have to remember that over 600 people uh, have lost their lives in the RNLI's service. And I think both those statistics are, from my point of view, I find it utterly humbling. And of course, also from a personal point of view, my great-aunt uh, was subsequently, she was 17 at the time, uh, my great-grandmother was 52, but my great-aunt subsequently married and had a daughter, and that daughter wouldn't have been born uh, if she hadn't been rescued. My, my recent visit uh, to the Lizard Lifeboat Station was very interesting, of course. Actually, being in the lifeboat station and uh, looking at the room where they get kitted out before they go off on the lifeboat. Uh, and, and one of the questions I, I asked was, when did you last have to go out to rescue someone? And they said, oh, about a week ago. And, I, I, you, you know, this is going on all the time. There are 238 lifeboat stations around Britain and Ireland. And you can be sure that today some of those will be sending out the lifeboat to rescue people. Uh, in the case of the um, one that I've just described, which had taken place a week before my visit, this was just a, a fishing boat that had got into difficulty. Um, but these things are happening all the time around our coasts. Apart from the 456 people uh, rescued from the Suvik on the night of the 17th, 18th March 1907, of which Cornish lifeboat men are very rightly proud, that very same night another boat, another ship, the SS Jebba, uh, was wrecked uh, near Whitchurch off the South Devon coast. And both of these boats, both the Suvik and the Jebba, were inbound for Plymouth. The RNLI rescued a further 155 people from the SS Jebba and if you add that to the 456 rescued from the Suvik in one night 611 people were saved by the RNLI with not a single life lost.
Hello, it's Eleanor Hooker here. I'm a volunteer on Loch Derg Lifeboat. You've been listening to part of the Ornalise 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to ornalie.org forward slash 200 voices or subscribe to the Ornalie wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Two Hundred Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.